Hello and welcome to Channel 17's Town Meeting Television and another in our live candidate forums. Tonight, joining us for Burlington City Council, we have three candidates uncontested in their individual races. Joining us from Ward 3, we have progressive incumbent Brian Pine. From Ward 6, we have Democrat incumbent Karen Paul. And from Ward 7, we have independent uh, 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 incumbent Ali Zhang. Welcome to you all. We thank you for joining us here this evening. A reminder for you, our viewing audience, that if you have a question for either candidates or for the panel uh, uh, as a group, the number to dial is 862-3966. Again, 862-3966. We'll begin with opening statements for each uh, of you candidates, but I want to actually contextualize it and build off of uh, something that uh, we had last night with the conversation with Max Tracy who specifically said that he's running as a progressive against his Democratic challenger and that there were specific differences between him and his challenger. Two challengers or two incumbents sitting here have run as multi-party candidates. Brian, you've run as a progressive seeking Democratic support. Allie, your website currently lists you as a Democratic progressive, yet you're running as an independent. So as you introduce yourselves, I'd like you to use that as a context to introduce yourselves and why you are running with that letter that is beside your name. And Brian, we'll begin with you. Okay, thanks, Matt. Um, I would start by saying that um, when I arrived in Burlington in 1981 to attend the University of Vermont, uh, a new mayor had just been sworn in a few months earlier, and that was Bernie Sanders. And Bernie was my uh, introduction and my foray into politics. Uh, Bernie really spoke to, I believe, the dreams and hopes and aspirations of many people in this city, and I was one of them as a young person. So I was attracted to that message and got very involved in trying to support him to ensure that he had city councilors that could help him implement his vision and his agenda for the city. So those are my roots, and um, I've worked on campaigns for Democrats. I've even supported a few Republicans along the way. I tend to view the party labels as somewhat of a, a shortcut to try and figure out where someone might be coming from, but not to get too hung up on party labels, especially at the local level. And I, I do like the fact that many people, when I go door to door, say, I vote for the person. I'm not that concerned about the party. So I try not to emphasize uh, what distinguishes us in terms of our party labels for the most part. That's not my focus. Uh, Karen Paul, you're running as a Democrat. Do you see that there is a, a difference between the parties? And uh, can you use that as a context to introduce yourself and uh, d explain why you're, why you're running again for city council? Uh, well, you know, when I first ran for office um, and was elected, I ran as an independent. And I think I ran as an independent at the time because I really didn't feel yet that, you know, until I really got elected, where my values and where the, you know, given what else was going on on the city council, where I was more closely aligned. And I did that for some time, probably for half of the time that I've been on the city council, I was an independent. Um, I have felt over the years that uh, that I, my, my perspective more closely aligns with the Democratic Party. Mm. Um, but, you know, we're, I think all of us tend to, and certainly I tend to, look at issues as they are, as the issue is, and uh, try to apply the, the lens of my own honest assessment of, uh, of the issue and vote that way. I have voted with uh, 
the majority of progressives on some issues, and I voted with the majority of Democrats on some issues. So, um, you know, I don't look at it much like Brian. I don't really look at it as a as a um, as something that is like a confine. I and I do know in going door to door with people that they value. Um, they value a candidate's ab ability to look at each issue as it is and not um, not vote a party line, so to speak. Okay. Uh, Ali Zhang, uh, you're running as an independent. Your website lists you as a Democrat slash progressive, D slash P. Uh, is there uh, a difference between either of those and could you use that as a context to introduce yourself to our viewers in your uh, re-election? Thank you very much, first of all, for having us here. And I'm glad to be on the stage with my two uh, fellow city councilors, Brian Pine and Karen Paul. It's great to have a great discussion about our city. And um, to my website, it's www.alidieng.com. Right, so you can go check it out. So yes, you're right. And I was uh, endorsed by both the progressive and the Democrats in all my runs. This is my third campaign that I will be running. So I decided this time around to go as a, an independent because I believe that Burlington is too small, too small to bring party labels into us. And sometimes, you know, you see it play out at the council, really. 6-6 six, six, based on an issue, progressive here, Democrats here. But I see myself as someone who is really an independent-minded. I just care about the people that I represent. I care about the city and try to serve it as much as I can. So you can hear it from my voice. I'm not from here. I'm immigrant. And I just got into politics and won for the first time June 27, 2017. Not even three years yet. But I feel that I like it. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to represent you to, for the city that we care so much. Very good. Thank you. Uh, we'll move right on here. And just a reminder to our uh, viewing audience that if you have a uh, question for uh, either candidate individually or for the panel as a whole, you're welcome to dial on in and uh, uh, ask at 862-3966. We'll move right here to some of the ballot questions uh, uh, regarding the school uh, budget as well as the city uh, tax increase, asking if you both, or, or if all of you support it, uh, what's your reasoning behind it? We've heard, uh, you know, in uh, previous forums and uh, from previous candidates that affordability is the main issue for a, a number of residents, and that, of course, relates a lot to taxes. So, uh, Ali, if uh, we'll uh, offer you the opportunity to uh, uh, begin just first about the uh, school tax and then into the city tax. Absolutely. Um, thank you again for the great question, and I think it is an issue that people hear all the time across the city. You know, affordability is big. But I think it is important to point out that we need to talk about, get our priorities straight. And all of those uh, ballot items, one is about education, the future generation, and the other one is about safety. I mean, I think those two are really integral part of what government should be doing. And I am also someone who worked for the Burlington School District. I see the teachers going above and beyond to their job responsibilities to get things done. We need to really raise kids who are capable in the 21st century of succeeding and also making sure that the challenges of the 21st century are you know, being met by them. It is their future we're talking about. So therefore, I, I support both of those. 
I support the Burlington School District um, raise of taxes. I also support the um, public safety, you know, ballot item that will be coming forward. And one of them is specifically for the new North End. If you think about it, we are over 11,000 people, bigger than uh, many towns in, 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 in the state. And yet we have an ambulance and that ambulance don't have, you know, staff to run it around. I think it is important for all Burlingtonian to make sure that education of our kids should be at the forefront of everything that we do and also everyone feels safe to bring their businesses here, to live here, to raise their kids in here. So yes, I support both of those ballot items. But I think it is important to also ask the Burlington School District, based on you know, a couple of bounds that the supporters already resident already uh, approved, I think it is important maybe for them to go back and look into ways that we can save and also for the Burlington School District and the city of Burlington to start to work together. Okay. Because, yeah. Thank you. Uh, Karen, uh, your thoughts on uh, the school uh, uh, budget uh, increase and then the city tax increase. Do you support them both and uh, your thoughts on them? Well, we have a, we have a couple of different um, items that we're talking about. The first, the, as you say, the, the school tax increase, um, you know, the, the city council doesn't have direct input into the school I'm budget. I'm asking if you support so, it. Right. So, you know, so we don't go line by line. But, you know, based on the fact that uh, I think the schools are being well run, based on the fact that we want a quality education for our children. Um, I have three children that went through the Burlington schools. Um, I went through the Burlington schools. My parents always voted for, for, you know, for school budgets, even when it was difficult um, because the increase was significant um, when I was growing up. And so I grew up that way, that that's what you do. You support the schools. And I think uh, that still holds true. You know, they, they have looked for reductions. Some of the reductions that they've made have been administrative and they are not, they don't directly impact teaching, which I think is the way to go. Um, and uh, uh, so, yes, the answer is I do support the school, um, the school tax question, the, the budget increase. Yeah. Um, as far as the others, um, the public safety tax, this is the first time in 15 years that we have asked for an increase in that line item, in that line item in our tax bill. And um, as Ali has mentioned, you know, the, you know, the, 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 not only the demographics, the size of the new North End, but also the changing demographics have necessitated that oftentimes uh, ambulances from neighboring communities are taking calls for, that come from residents in the city of Burlington because we really need a third ambulance. An ambulance costs $700,000. We need nine uh, firefighters to be able to take care of that ambulance. But and I so actually, I actually want to push back on this a little okay. bit. Okay. Do we actually need it? And here's the reason why, because there is in fact this ordinance that says for every call, an ambulance has to go out and a fire engine has to go out. Is that overkill? Is that, you know, too much? It just seems to me that that's too much that then puts us in the position, oh, that we have to have another ambulance and more staff. It feels like we came up with this policy and, oh, now we have to serve the policy. And it well, feels that that to me I mean, is a... I mean, serving the policy means serving the people. And, you know, I think people expect 
a very high, uh, a very quick response time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that can be the difference between life and death. I don't think any of us would want to be in that position. Um, and if we are relying on neighboring communities for that support, um, I think that it does go to say that we should be taking care of our own. Um, it is a, it's a three cent tax increase. Um, it's a one-time tax increase, and we are looking for ways to offset that. But this was part of our agreement with the unions, the council, and the administration unanimously agreed to this, to putting this question on the ballot. And so that's what we're doing, and yes, I, I do support it. Um, I'll let Brian speak yeah. to the, to the <coughs> one remaining item. Sure. I would just emphasize on the public safety question. I think, Matt, you ask a great question. Do we know for sure that Burlington needs this approach? When a, a call is made and a fire truck shows up and an ambulance together? At every call. Here's my answer. The mm -hmm. public safety de folks who, who are trained in this field tell us that that is absolutely what we must have for best practice. And I take their word for it because I believe they come to work every day to protect us and I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And they tell us this is what's needed. So if you also look at us in comparison to other comparable cities, we're about midway as far as coverage. So we're pretty close to, if you take X number of every thousand people, you have X number of officers, we're pretty close to average. So we're not overstaffed really. Great. Thank uh, you, I yeah. appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I thought that was a really great response yeah. and it Thank puts you. it in context for us. Yeah. You know? And then for the school tax, uh, both our sons, who are now in, one's in college and one has graduated, went through the Burlington schools and they got a fantastic education. Mm -hmm. I think you went through the Burlington schools. I went schools. through the Burlington schools so with it is much less core. in funding and much less than the students have today. And, there was, and I got yeah, a great education. But also I right. want to point this out, that a lot of the education happened around the dinner table. My parents were actively, yes. actively engaged. Yes. My mother right. was a school board member and signed my brother's diploma. Wow. So yeah. it's not... Yeah. All so unique, dependent yeah. on yeah. Uh, government. It sure. has to really start sure. in the home. Right, and what we've seen though is because of both parents having to work and single parent households and, and new American families that don't necessarily immediately know how to interact in our school system, it's important for us to give all the support we can to give those children the best possible future. So I think we've had to adapt over time since the days when you were in Burlington schools. Things have changed quite a bit. This community is very different, and so, very different. And so if so, I may yeah. want to uh, yeah. continue this discussion, if we may have the permission here, I know we're not the school board, mm -hmm. but as city council members, can't you sort of put an edict to the school board to say, come up with the new 22nd century teaching model mm -hmm. that isn't using a 17th century model of busing students to a central location. We're living in the 22nd century of technology where the computer that I have in my phone, in my pocket, out shines whatever was around when I was growing as a, uh, as a student to the Burlington school system. To me, the new 22nd uh, school system is more about dialing in with this technology from your location to a central teacher rather than being bused to a central Well, I think location. what we're going to see is, is this gets into a whole different conversation but, because it's education related and we are city councilors. But, but can't I, I you would put say this edict we, to we this? as city councilors have made it clear to the school board that we have only, the taxpayer only has so much ability to pay. 68% of our households are income sensitized. Only 55%, of 58% of renters file for the renter's rebate. More renters need to know about that rebate because rents are related to taxes. And so 
we have a disconnect for people, but we do have a significant, you know, over two-thirds of our homeowners are income sensitized, yeah. which means even though there will be an increase, it'll be a lot less of an increase than it would be otherwise. So we made some progress so that school taxes are pegged to income up to a certain point, mm -hmm. and that's progress. We have to acknowledge that funding our education through a tax that doesn't reflect the ability to pay is wrong, and that's the fundamental problem. Mm -hmm. So places that rely on the property tax, which as you age, a property tax be eats up more of your income, makes it harder for you to justify voting for the school tax. I have senior citizens in my ward who own their home and say, if I vote for this, I will have to leave my home, I'm gonna vote against it, and they don't like it. Mm -hmm. So that's where we've got people in a, in a really, difficult place. And so what's the solution? I mean, <coughs> Ali, I mean, let's give you yeah. Yeah. So continue I've, the conversation. I think this, you know, Because it's an affordability issue it is. that Absolutely. Just about. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I yes. think you had a great yeah. point. Education of the 21st century is no longer education around just a classroom and a teacher. You know, we need to think outside of the box. But uh, in Burlington, we had a chance with the Partnership for Change to start something great something wonderful and we looked into proficiency-based learning, uh, place-based learning, proficiency-based graduation and I think that work requires also some type of partnership with universities, with colleges, with you know transportation and so many. And something that resulted to it and I think it is they're doing great work, the city lake semester mm -hmm. you know and I think you know it's just a couple of teachers who want to think about education differently who now have this space at the uh, association African living in Vermont old north end you know community room and you know they take kids outside of the classroom to give them life real lifelong learning opportunities and I think we need to tap into that you know, that's, really, that's yeah. true. Karen, I mean, the, and that took about two years in order, yeah. maybe yeah. a little bit longer than that, in order for a very dedicated group mm -hmm. of uh, uh, of adults who wanted some of them teachers who really wanted to have offer offer students a, a completely different learning opportunity, yeah. and and it is, has been enormously successful. Well, but the idea, but, but, excuse me for mm -hmm. just but, say, but the idea for the, of that was to find a model that worked mm. and to be able to do more of them. Mm -hmm. well, I mean, they only have 20 students, exactly. I think, per semester, but and really, they have a waiting list. What's really interesting about this is that when I went to school here in the Burlington school system, Fair School, Fen Ryder was just an amazing principal. Uh, everyone who knows him knows. And that t teaching that they uh, instituted was, when I was in fourth grade, we got to pick our own field trips. So I went to McDonald's, you know, as a fourth grader, and I got a trip cool. to the local radio station, which at the time was WDOT. I went to work at McDonald's as my first job in high school, and I've been in radio and television since. So what you're talking about, it's great, but it's been around. And when did it disappear that now it has to come back is sort of my question when I look at this. Yeah. But we'll move on here. Absolutely. And we'll move on to uh, some things uh, on the ballot uh, or, or specifically related to our city assets. Um, we had a lot of questions about this last night, and we're not going to rehash old city assets that have moved away. Mm -hmm. But we do have some city assets right now that are on our plate, Memorial Auditorium and Moran. And I'm very specifically interested in what you think should happen to both of these. I, I even want to hear blue sky from each of you, okay? <laughs> Let's think highest use, and then give me what you think is practical. And Karen, we'll begin with you on this. Um, 
Okay, well, the as far as Memorial, so we'll start with Memorial. The history there is a little bit shorter than with Moran. Moran goes way back. Um, but as far as uh, Memorial is concerned, you know, I think the community has spoken loud and clear about what they would like to see with Memorial Auditorium in terms of it being a vibrant public space. Um, and I am 100% committed to that. Uh, keeping it. To keeping it publicly owned and keeping it a community asset um, and open to the public as much as humanly possible. Um, Renovating the whole block and making a new civic center with that as a cornerstone. What yeah. is the big idea Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not really crazy about the whole concept of civic center. Mm -hmm. um, I personally, I think that that sort of... Um, conjures up uh, ideas of having all these big events that perhaps are not are a little more in exclusive than inclusive. Well, let me give you just a, a thing about that. The Essex Junction Fairgrounds gets every event. That means it doesn't come to the city of Burlington. We don't have a civic center that can bring all these events. Antiques Roadshow cannot come to the state of Vermont because there's not a big enough venue to host them. Why can't we take that block and make a super block civic center that the city owns as a city civic center to bring tourism, to bring dollars, to bring event dollars and the people who visit them to the city. Well, that is one of the, that is one of the challenges with Memorial is that there was initially and has been for years talk about bringing that into an entire super block. Yeah. There are some financial realities of how we can do that. Um, the, because of the schools, to a large degree, and not to say that it's their fault, but we, we willingly as a city um, uh, split up our debt capacity and debt policy so as to be able to allow $70 million for Burlington High School left us with $15 million for Memorial, which sounds like a lot of money, but when you're talking about an old structure, it's not a lot of money. Um, so we are looking to find an operator, um, which I think is a great idea. Find uh, someone who's much better at this kind of work than we are, um, just like we do with other other th city assets, and uh, come up with a programming plan that makes it viable, but also makes it accessible to the community. And I, I think we can do that. And Moran, we see some uh, increases in yes. uh, uh, cost. Can you talk about that and your thoughts uh, and so what the, you'd like to see? As far as the cost increase, mm -hmm. I mean, well, you know, we, we were, the council was told last summer that 5.6 million, which is the amount that we have for TIF funding, uh, in TIF funding, would, um, would accomplish our goal of the Moran Frame Project. Um, we've since found out that it's more expensive than that due to um, things that are on the structure and around the structure in terms of remediation. And so that's a couple million dollars more. Um, it presents us with a couple of options in terms of phasing in how we do and eventually accomplishing the goal of the Moran frame, uh, which, is, which includes partially demolishing the building. Or we could demolish the building and have a park that incorporated pieces of the Moran um, plant in it. Um, and there are some complications with that because you can only use TIF funding for, for you know, for the, de what the do you demolition. Think? What do you want? Um, what do I think? What do I want? What do you want? Um, well, what I'd like is probably not either one of them. I would love to see Moran stay as it was, but that's not something that's probably grounded in reality. Um, I, um, 
you know, we had a meeting about this, count, uh, Ali and I were both there. I did not make a commitment in terms of what I thought was the best outcome. I'm hoping to find out from uh, constituents what, how they feel about it. Um, and my concern is just simply that CEDO um, has so much on its plate mm. um, in order to make it workable to keep the Moran frame um, there is going to need, be, need to be initial, additional funding, yeah. and we've got to come up with that without it impacting the taxpayer. So, Brian, you know I'm obviously very passionate about Moran uh, due to a family relationship and an idea I have for it. Uh, your thoughts about Moran, where it stands now with this challenge uh, going forward about, you know, do you do the additional uh, cost or not, leave as is, uh, and then uh, follow it up with uh, your thoughts about Memorial. Yeah, I've always believed strongly that Moran is an asset worth keeping, and I've, I've never liked the idea of, of tearing it down, um, but that's just because I, I tend to prefer publicly owned buildings. We preserve them as best we can. At some point, though, there's a price tag that has to be looked at, and I think right now we are faced with a sticker shock. Uh, if it was half a million dollars over, I think we'd figure that out, but this order of magnitude is significant, so I think we, my preference is to really sharpen our pencils bring in some people who really know how to do some value engineering, see if there's a way to scale back what we're doing and do what we intended to do because we have a deadline. We actually need to do some work yeah. this year. Yeah. So yeah. we need to get work done this year and yeah. I don't want to jeopardize the funding that's available so the taxpayer doesn't foot the bill and the way to do that is to get going on the project and phase it the way Councillor Paul described. And so then Memorial, just your Memorial, I, I feel the same way about but I, I, I still believe, I could be wrong, that there's a public-private partnership relationship that would leverage some more private capital to make Memorial happen. Again, not to look to the taxpayer to foot the bill for the whole thing. So I'm still hopeful that we can find a public-private partnership that would work. Great. Ali, uh, your thoughts, Memorial Auditorium, a public-private partnership, you think, to ensure its uh, longevity? Yep. And uh, your thoughts about uh, uh, Moran uh, and the cost increase? Okay. Um, thank you. And I think it's a great question. And again, it is about taxes, it's about money, it is about assets. But I think what is most important to not only think about these assets right now, but the other assets that we have, how do we make sure that we don't get here? like how Memorial Auditorium is like right now. Assets you have to strengthen them, keep them, make them, make a lot of use of them for the future generation. Let's start to think that way. But I think it is important to point out, uh, more and plant, we are not going to ask for the taxpayers more money. We received a presentation, it was very thorough, and one of them is to tear it down. And if we tear it down, we will even have a $2 million back into our pockets. You know, we have another option, which is to just start the frame very slow, you know, and I think even that one we will have over time, you know, we will be able to make it the way that we want. How we envision it, we will be able to make it that way. Um, and I think the current plan, as it is, the taxpayers also want to pick up the tab. It, they want to pick up the tab at all because currently there is a relationship between the city of Burlington and another entity you know, who is ready to help support whatever it takes for the city to maintain it. But it is important for the viewers, the voters of Burlington, that what we told you it won't be more than $4.5 million, it won't be there. It doesn't matter what option that we go to, it is good, you're very safe there. But to Moran, 
I don't know which one is one again. Memorial Auditorium. You know, I think it is important again to come back to the taxes again. You know, let's be realistic. Let's be, you know, forward thinking. Let's also think about that Burlington is not a rich city. We only rely on the taxpayers to get things done. $70 million that is going to a new high school. There may be even more, you know. We also had a debt policy that no more than one uh, $115 million, and I think we use them all, there is $15 million left. Personally, until we have a partner who is able to come and take the whole block, redevelop it, own it for a certain times, five, ten years, and then it will belong to the city. I think that is the way we need to think about this. And to even ask those 15, when we say we have a debt policy, it doesn't mean that we have to use the whole money. Let's make it stand as we can until we figure out what we're going to do with this high school that is important, that's an asset, and then we can put our heads together in making something, having a vision for Moran uh, Memorial Auditorium. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll ask one more question before we uh, have the candidates uh, give their final closing statements or to talk about any final uh, uh, concern that they have. Um, the question here is about CEDO. Uh, we had uh, just uh, br briefly brought this up, and so it's a great segue. Um, CEDO's undergone a lot of changes in the uh, last few years. So what do you see the role of CEDO, which is the city, the City Economic Development Office? What do you see the role of the city in the future economic development of the city? And Karen, we'll begin with you. Well, I think a lot of the work that CEDO has done, and CEDO has done over the over a large number of years, has been amazing work. Um, you know, I look at some of the most successful businesses in town that got um, uh, either got information or a helping hand, or you know, had you know, got connections through CEDO uh, to help build their businesses. Um, you can go down Pine Street and find a number of them that uh, came to Burlington and were, uh, were greatly helped by the assets in CEDO. A lot of the assets in CEDO are the people. Mm -hmm. um, that's really what the assets are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think CEDO has had um, the last number of years have been challenging ones. Um, and, you know, part of the reason they're challenging is because uh, a lack of federal funding. Um, the CEDO of today is not the CEDO of yesterday. And the CEDO of tomorrow is not going to be the CEDO of today. Right. So how do you envision the next 10 years for this? Well, I think, you know, part of it also is that we need um, we've had a lot of changes in leadership at, at CEDO over the past five, six years. And I think that has made, and a, and a lot of, there have been a number of reorganizations of CEDO, which is hard. It's hard for the people that are working there. And that change in leadership, I think, is unsettling. And I'm hopeful that this new leadership will be around for a long time because I think that really helps. Um, I do remember the year that the first year that CEDO came to the city and needed money, general fund money, and that you know that continues to be a challenge. We are going to have to be able to take some of that, some of the money that used to come from federal fund federal funds and uh, and pay for it locally. And you know I also would love to see a model whereby some of the successful businesses could also help. Um, you know, uh, not, I don't want to uh, finger point, but I think we all know some of the more successful ones that have been helped by CEDO, and that would be wonderful to see them giving back um, 
uh, some of what they've gotten from us. So, I mean, we're all one community, so I think we should try to help one another in that Brian, way. Brian, your thoughts then for CEDO and the next 10 years, what's the plan and how do we help CEDO uh, succeed and what are, what's the challenges that the office and the city is going to face in economic development for the next 10 years? Well, I think that CEDO's role has often been to be the catalyst to move ideas through sort of a idea factory, if you will, like a mm -hmm. laboratory of ideas and bring those to market and test them. And um, we as a city have benefited from that. What we have really focused on is growing our local economy, growing local opportunity, local businesses. In many cases though, what would happen is people start out here, they incubate here, and then they go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And we gotta figure out how to capture and harness that economic vitality and keep it here. So we need to be thinking ahead around workforce development. We need to be thinking about tax policy. We need to be thinking about how to improve transportation resources. Everything needs to be on the table. And the jobs and people was the original economic development study and therefore strategy that led to a lot of the work we did. It's in our plan to redo jobs and people. It needs to be revisited. We need to look at our assets, look at our liabilities, look at the opportunities and really <coughs> Think big. Well, I'm so. going to then ask you to expand on that as as the final part of this question. Uh, you know, how uh, do you? What are your thoughts on the next ten years for just commercial development in in Burlington? What is the outlook? Uh, you know, we've got a big hole. Uh, there are some other uh, projects that are moving forward. Some that are stalled. Uh, what is the economic development that you see for the city for the next? 10 do you want years? me to take that or give? Well, I'll ask okay, you to go, and sure. then we'll con continue around. I so. think it was it was couched in a in a way that is 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 both, I think, uh, anyway, it was, it was couched in the questions we were sent about bricks and mortar retail. Right. And I think that's so important that's, that's to talk what I'm about. talking about, the next 10 years of, yeah. you know, so how do you see the, yeah. the forecast for yep. the next 10 years Absolutely. of downtown? Economics? You know, we can't, we can't have a healthy, vibrant city without a really strong downtown. That economic base, that cultural hub, the economic hub that Burlington serves as, serves us as a community really well, and it serves our region. It is an economic engine for the northwestern part of Vermont, big time. So we have to acknowledge that, and we need to constantly be aware of what are the changing dynamics that will keep us on that leading edge. Um, the uh, internet has definitely taken a hit from bricks and mortar sales. Um, but what it can't ever replace, and it, I don't believe it will, is that unique shopping experience, that unique retail experience that you can only have in a place like downtown Burlington. Mm -hmm. So we need to bolster that. We need to support that. We need to figure out ways to... Um, but does that, does that yeah. mean actually building an attraction rather than just shopping to bring visitors into downtown Burlington somehow? I think part of it is building uh, hundreds of units of housing in the core of downtown mm -hmm. adds a, sh a group of customers that aren't there today. That's, but that's part of but it. But that's still for so, brick and mortar shopping, and I guess it's still it going to have like a we're place. We're still relying on that. Are well, we? Uh, yeah, the, so. I mean, the research shows that online sales are about 15% of all retail sales. People think mm -hmm. it's through the roof. 15% hasn't budged much, right. so it's not budging a lot. Right. So it does suggest there's certain economic activity that people must be there to see it and feel it. Mm. There's a lot of stuff that really needs to keep doing just that. You're not gonna buy jewelry by going online. People don't do that. That's not one of the things that sells online. It, we're Shoes, maybe. We're saying but, that now, but in the next 10 years. And so this well, is the- I don't the, have a crystal ball, Matt, no, but so I, I'm just saying. But I think that's what yeah. I think people are asking yeah. of you of the city council is to kind of look at the crystal ball and say, well, what is the next 10 years that the city needs to plan for? And yeah. if we're relying again on a 19th century 
century model of brick and mortar stores to draw people in for a consumer experience rather than an experiential experience, which is building an attraction to actually draw people in. Yeah. That to me seems a difference that, that actually positions us for the 21st century. And again, as city council yeah. members, I think we're looking for you to kind of set this visionary Yeah, I think tone. the attraction is here already. I think we yes. have it. I think you're missing the attraction if you don't see it downtown. Okay. I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, people, you know, we, we grew up here. I mean, we, you know, we, right. we, we, we live here. Right. Um, people who visit here love Burlington. I, I agree. For all the things that we sometimes you know, may may look at it in a different way. Um, but there I mean, are downtown businesses that are not getting my dollars because I just don't want to go there because it's a shopping experience. I can go to walmart.com and get whatever I need. If I want to go down and have the ambience of what downtown Burlington offers, okay, but it has its flip side. So my question is, is the future of downtown Burlington's economic development only going to be relying on the brick-and-mortar retail establishment. You can say that the attraction is Burlington. I, I don't necessarily buy that because there are so many Burlingtonians who don't go into downtown Burlington to disprove that. So, Yeah, I mean, I think it's two questions here. One, the role of CEDO, the feature of CEDO, and also the, one, the other one is about... Well, we've finished the role of CEDO. So okay. I didn't answer it. Oh, yet. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 sorry. And I think you would be a great city councilor too. <laughs> Because <laughs> you, you participate. I think it's good. But you know, to uh, the future of theater and what theaters should look like, I feel as if many people even uh, mentioned it. We even received a couple of people showed up at City Council to just talk to us about tax base, to just talk, talking about. CEDO has become an office that's really um, focused on development. Uh, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's a fact. But I think a couple of other ideas that they do, such as diversity, equity, inclusion, all of those are great. You know, the partnership between the city and the high school, you know, students, I think all of those are good. And now minority leaders of color are getting together through CEDO. I think all of those are good. But at the same time, we have a lot of um, 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 jobs that are being created, and those jobs are currently, how do we, develop, develop, develop more. I think the role of CEDO need to change. We need to bring some um, weatherization into it, micro business. We need to, you know, help new Americans. We need to do so more and just pause on development a little bit so we can brief. But I think the other option is about DID, Downtown Improvement District. And we're not talking mm -hmm. only about downtown, but we're talking also about the waterfront. You know, all of those. How do we make our downtown most, the most vibrant, which it is right now in the, in, in the state of Vermont? But how do we maintain it? I think we did have a great option and we rushed into it and the DID did die. But how do we bring it up with the new leadership that we have in here in making sure that um, it is safe, it is clean, and it is also attractive to not only to Burlingtonians, but also to our tourists. Burlington, we rely on tourists, and they don't come to the new North End, but they come to downtown. Yeah. And well, and that, 
I'm sorry. And that was part of also Plan BTV, was reconnect, it was connecting downtown to the waterfront. And a, a lot of those we still have not implemented. Um, you know, there is a lot to be said for implementing more of those ideas to bring the two together. And that's always, that's been a struggle that we've had for a long time is that, you know, it's funny, you can walk from, you know, on, on College Street, you can walk from the waterfront to downtown. It's the same number of blocks to walk from uh, the bottom the City Hall to the top of Church Street. But you don't see it that way because of just the, you know, the vitality of the pedestrian mall. Mm. But they are the same distance. <laughs> they just don't seem that way yeah. because we need to make it more interesting. Um, well, we want to uh, thank our candidates for joining us here at the table this evening. We've spoken about a lot of issues. We've gotten deep into some of them, and I thank you uh, very much for that. Uh, the candidates have done their part by uh, putting their name on the ballot. It's now up to you. All you have to do is go out and vote. Uh, we'll give our candidates 30 seconds to give a final statement about their candidacy and what they see as the future of the city. Karen, we'll begin with you. Uh, well, that's great. Thank you. So uh, thanks, uh, thanks to you, Matt, and to Channel 17 for, for doing this. Uh, it's always great to be here and talk about uh, what's going on in the city of Burlington. Um, I just simply will close by it's always been my strong belief that, uh, and I was uh, raised that it was in, it's incumbent upon all of us to give back to a city that has been very good to us and certainly the city has been very good to me and to my family. I'm honored to serve on the city council and I will hopefully be honored to serve for another two years. So thank you. Great. Thanks very much. Mm -hmm. Allie, we'll ask yeah. you for your final comments. Yeah, thank you very much uh, for giving us the opportunity to lead and I think we rely on you. That's my message to the voters of Burlington, that it's not only voting people to the office, but also to be with them, because the, the concept of co-governing is needed in Burlington more than ever. I think my priorities has always been equity, inclusion, the hardness, the diversity that we have here, and one of them could be um, all the issues, social issues such as homelessness. You know, it is something we did a housing summit, we did not mention it. I think it is important to look into the social issues. And affordability is also at the forefront of one of our problems. I think one thing that we need to do is to have a partnership, a real partnership, between the city of Burlington and also the Burlington School District, you know, in order to make sure that Burlington is affordable and also healthy and vibrant and attractive. Uh, Brian, your final closing okay. statement. Yeah, I, um, I like to just point out that uh, my goals in serving the city, of serving, serving my residents, uh, are rooted in my commitment to this community over the last 38 years. I um, chose to make Burlington my home, raise my children here. We chose to live in the old North End specifically so that we could be part of sort of rebuilding and nurturing a stronger sense of community in an area that was, um, that needed that really, quite honestly. And so we've committed ourselves to that. And um, I believe that our role as elected officials is to be the voice for the people. Uh, I would just like to ask our people to, to to communicate this way a little bit more because we do as much as we can to reach out. But um, I would uh, plead with our voters to, to talk to us and tell us what's going on, what their priorities are, their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations, because together we can accomplish great things. Very good. Yeah. My thanks again to all three candidates for joining us here this evening. A reminder to go out and vote on Tuesday, March 3rd, but if you can't make it to the polls or you just don't want to, you can vote early. Just contact your local town clerk and request a ballot. Then when it arrives in the mail, complete the ballot and mail the ballot. And then join us for complete 
town meeting 2020 election night results beginning at 7 p.m. right here on Channel 17. For all of us at CCTV, I'm Matt Kelly. Thank you for watching.